Hi everyone! Hello! Welcome back to another episode of Brown Skin, White Lies. I'm Saloni Kanani. And I'm Priya Dustin. How's everybody doing today? I know, it's been, it's been a really interesting week, actually. It has been, yeah. <laughs> But um, we've got a super exciting episode in mm-hmm. store today. So everybody, you know, grab a nice snack, get all cozy, exactly. get comfy, because um, we've got a lot that we're going to talk about. So in the previous episodes, we've really touched on what the issues are in the industry, the stereotypes, the really nitty gritty, the education, etc. But today's episode's really going to hit the, you know, why does this matter and what are the psychological impacts on the individual themselves with these issues? Like what is this issue of stereotypes, misrepresentation due to the South Asian community and how that affects you growing up and your interactions relationships etc so it's really gonna get at the like heat of why we're actually even doing this podcast so as we've talked about in our previous episodes there is this mold that is created for South Asians and this mold is not even created by South Asians. But here we are being forced to fit into these molds and so you're constantly facing questions like, oh, like you're so cool for being in Indian or whatever. And it's like, what does that even mean? Because what the portrayals we have in media may not depict us as being the cool main character. And that really creates a lot of issues, especially in your developmental years, because you're like constantly questioning your identity of what it means to be South Asian. Yeah. And it's just so it's it's very conflicting as Mm -hmm. a South Asian person as well when in your like everyday lives the kind of only validation that you get is when you aren't that Indian. Like when people are constantly like, oh my gosh, you're so cool for an Indian. Oh, you're so pretty for an Indian. Oh, you're so... Like any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It is so... It it really confuses you, especially Mm -hmm. as like a young person when you're like 12, 13, 14 at this like very important phase in your life and the only time that people are complimenting you and saying good things about you is when they're not perceiving you as being Mm -hmm, Indian mm -hmm. and it just puts you at such like I think a lot of everybody deals with it in their own way when this kind of happens but for some people you know they really internalize that and and see being Indian as a bad thing and then other people as a result of that they try and push themselves away from their or being South Asian as far as they, like, possibly can. They try and really just, like, yeah, disassociate from their culture. And um, And then there's the other side of that, which is, like, okay, sometimes you get stuff being said to you, like, oh, why aren't you good at math? You're South Asian. So it's, like, you're getting hit by both sides of the bat. You're You're getting getting hit with, like, oh, like, you're so pretty for an Indian, which basically means if you look Indian, you're not considered pretty or cool, whatever. But then on the other side of the bat, you're being slapped with, oh, but you're brown. Why aren't you good at math? And it's like, oh my gosh, where am I supposed to fit in at this point? It's like, I can't be too brown, but I cannot be not brown. I'm Where am I fitting? And when you're younger, this really, really messes with you. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) 
And you know, like all this confusion really comes from that misrepresentation that we see in TV shows and mm-hmm. movies. Like we as South Asians feel confused because we feel yeah. like we aren't the we don't fit into the mold that we are seeing Mm -hmm. depicted in the content that we watch. But at the same time, other people that interact with us who make those comments being like, oh, you're so cool for an Indian also are equally shocked that we aren't fitting into that mold. Yeah, And I feel like having growing up, never seeing Mm -hmm. any South Asian people represented in movies and TV shows and then on the off chance when you do see them represented it's usually some sort of like negative depiction of your race or just like not in a very positive light um it it really, really has significant impacts on a person to grow up never seeing anybody who looks like them represented yeah. on screen and represented in a positive way. No, yeah. And for there's research that fully backs this concept up. And there's actually um, this UCLA website and research lab, Psychology in Action, that talks about how literal research shows that a lack of representation in media leads to negative psychological outcomes for those with identities that are underrepresented or negatively portrayed. And there is a correlation between what we see and low self-esteem, especially towards racial minorities or in general just minority groups. And so if we are young people watching these negative depictions, as the website puts it, are not getting reflected on media and the screen – Um, you start to feel invisible and unimportant and you start to lose the opportunity to see people with identities and features that are portrayed in a positive light. So like I'm so aware that like I'm sure me and you both growing up, I was not able to identify with any of the main characters. Oh, yeah. And so if I would just pick out any small thing that was like perhaps similar to myself and I was like – that character is me. Yeah. Even if they were like completely not me, I would yeah. like force myself to become like them. Oh, I know. And the self esteem, like, you know, it it, it, it has just, such an impact oh, yeah. on my <laughs> self esteem. Never seeing any positive depiction, and like you said, that whole thing where I would just grasp onto any character. Yeah. That was a, a completely the case for me. Like I remember as a child, I was obsessed with Jasmine. Oh my and gosh, like, yeah. Now old being older, like <laughs> yeah. I still she always has that like nostalgia factor mm-hmm. for me. So I kind of still will always love her character. But now that I'm older, I do know that like she is a terrible representation. Oh, absolutely. Of of, of brown people in general. She's not even a real, like, the the place that they're from isn't a real place. It's just this weird kind of mix of all sorts of different brown cultures from the Middle East, from South Asia, all this stuff. They kind of just, like, mushed it all into one to create one generic brown movie. And as a child, though, I was just, I was just so excited to finally see a brown Brown person who was who was beautiful who had an amazing movie Mm -hmm. where she was a main character and it was just I I I loved her because of that but but. also do you notice even with that like the story was about Aladdin not even about her like out of the Disney princesses the focus was not even on the princess herself yeah so there we go even less representation for us yeah but I was just gonna say even with that when I was younger at least I remember when we would play like dress up and princess Mm -hmm. all my friends automatically be like you're a jasmine you're gonna be Jasmine Sal. Oh yeah, and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, but that's because I had no other. Princess. Yeah, you had no other choice. To <laughs> yeah, go for I. Yeah, it was literally only Jasmine. Whereas my friends could pick from like Cinderella, Aurora, 
all the other ones. And yeah, I was like, so many different options. You can only really be Jasmine. And yeah. I was like, fair enough. <laughs> So it is very harmful, all those, first of all, not having representation and having negative ones. But, you know, research does show that people who identify with popular characters in mainstream media do have a higher self-esteem when those narratives are positive. So there are ways to redeem this. Yeah. Is that we need to have people of color in lead roles that do have a positive narrative so it cannot be narratives that are like you're a terrorist you are um a low life etc etc it has to be a positive narrative so that young kids and young audiences can actually relate first of all and secondly relate to a positive narrative yeah exactly and that's also why we just need more people of color in the behind the scenes when it comes to creating this content when it comes to like being in the writing room and stuff like that because we not only need a positive mm-hmm. representation, but we also need authentic representations yeah. of all minority groups, not just South Asian. Exactly. And just going a little bit deeper into those psychological effects um, that come from having such a lack of representation, it really mm-hmm. manifests itself in a wide variety of ways that we're going to kind of start to go through. But one of the first examples that we can think of is... Um, having this lack of representation, it really forces us to always feel like we need to prove ourselves Mm -hmm. to white people. Like we need to, um, yeah, just make up for all of these like false ideas that they have created about us. And so we're always trying to prove ourselves. And for a lot of people that manifests in having minorities take part in their own humiliation. We're often kind of like brainwashed into into making fun of ourselves, which is really sad. But there's some good examples of that. If you know um, the comedians, either Russell Peters or Lily Singh, um, they are definitely great comedians because they, um, you know, they have brought a lot more representation for South Asians in, in comedy in general. You know, there's not the, the amount of South Asian comedians has really grown, but um, they in the 2000s were kind of some of the first yeah. to become very successful. Um, but at the same time, if you've seen their style of comedy, a lot of it is surrounded around making fun of being South Asian and it playing on a lot of those stereotypes that white people have already pointed out about South Asian people. And a lot of their comedy is just really, it, it is ter- tailored to white people so that they can can find this funny, so that they can laugh. And I know, like, personally, I, I totally found these comedians super funny growing up as well mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it was it was comedy that I could myself as also relate to as yeah. a South Asian person, but it really was, it was just... Yeah, it was just, like, very much created towards having white people laugh with you because it's like yeah if it's it's either we are silenced completely or if we have a voice we need to include white people and how can they understand our culture better than making it funny and it almost is what I was gonna say um it's a defense mechanism yeah that like let me make fun of myself before you can yeah like if you just catch yourself on a day-to-day basis of like oh I look so tired and like gross today 
and just yeah. before your friend can be like, oh, like, what's wrong? Like, you don't look very well today. You, yeah. like, acknowledge it before someone else can. And it's a defensive mechanism. It is a defensive and mechanism. And I think with all these, like, self-deprecating jokes that a lot of comedians unfortunately use now mm-hmm. um, comes from that place of, first of all, trying to include white people and being like, hey, like, come come join our culture. But what they're portraying of our culture is, like, these, like, stereotypical these these stereotypes that like aren't i don't know they're they're just continuing to perpetuate those stereotypes and continuing to give white people that hall pass to laugh at us to make fun of us to continue having those characters in tv shows and movies that are genuinely just there to be the the joke character the funny person to like yeah comedic relief exactly And this all really stems from this need that um, we as South Asians and really just all all minorities kind of feel where we feel like we need to make white people like us. And so yeah. in this instance, you know, we're trying to make li- white people like us by making them laugh with us. Mm-hmm. But um, it really just stems from that need and it puts South Asians and minorities in a position where we're tr- constantly trying to like climb this ladder because white people have kind of established themselves as a top dog. It's kind of like the same way that it is with like popularity in high school yeah. where like they're like the popular kids and we're just trying to to climb prove ourselves ladder. to make them like think that we're we're worthy enough to be popular too and we're worthy enough to be mm-hmm. like and so we just we end up almost I'm, I'm trying to think of the word that I'm I'm looking for but we but end it's, up it's like doing a disservice to ourselves yeah. as people because we're trying to yeah. prove ourselves to yeah. white people and it's like you almost have to be liked by a white person in order to receive opportunities because historically speaking it was the white people that were on the top and they're the ones that received all the golden opportunities yeah so if you're not even liked by the white person or if you first of all if you can't be the white person then you have to be liked by the white person and so you have to do things in order for them to like you and one of that includes making them laugh yeah making fun of yourself by making fun of yourself so not only has it been very detrimental in terms of taking part in our own humiliation using these defensive mechanisms that are actually not very helpful another very prominent thing and psychological effect is that growing up we believed certain misconceptions about ourselves and I know I don't know how much this pertains to everyone else but I know for certain that Priya and myself have experienced that growing up we believed that being South Asian meant that we were um, unattractive no one would want to be friends with us or date us romantically it put us in a very like self-deprecating position and not only did we believe that but I think because other people who are watching these media sources so like the other kids Mm -hmm. would also believe they would also believe that about us and i think like that was very hard i've talked to like a lot of south asian friends as well who have felt the exact same way um about believing that they were just like they that they genuinely just couldn't be attractive because they were south asian no literally it's not something that's just like stems from general insecurity because i know like you know in middle school and high Mm -hmm. school that's just an insecure age everybody's insecure it's puberty it's it's normal to to feel that way but i think the biggest difference for 
South Asians and a lot of minority groups is it's not just something that's stemming from insecurity. It's stemming from genuinely being told that and genuinely yeah. having people tell you, oh yeah, you are unattractive. Oh yeah, like you aren't worthy of being loved because you're South Asian. Yeah. And I know that like um, Saloni and I have seen tons of videos online like these were things that I would see like in middle school and stuff like that but I still even see them like now on TikTok and Mm -hmm. whatnot um that really just perpetuate this idea of that South Asians are ugly and we're actually going to share a couple of those video clips with you all right now so the first clip that we're going to be letting you guys listen to is actually this trend that's been circulating since we were in like high school which is basically someone goes around interviewing or asking people around them being like what race would you not date which can I first of all just say how insensitive why are you going around doing that first of all no that alone is racist I'm sorry exactly you can you can tell yourself it's a preference as much as you want no if you're not gonna date a whole entire race race, that is is, crazy that is just being racist but we can get into that a little bit later yeah um but I'll play a little clip from the trend Okay, what race would y'all not date and why? Indians, because I heard they. You can't do Indian either? Same thing. You can't do Indian either? No? G, come here. G. What race y'all say? I said Indian. Yeah, I can't do it. So you're not doing it just because your friend's not doing it? What race would y'all not date and why? Oh, Indian. I can't do no Indian because I just can't see myself with them. An Indian, but I kind of want to white right now. <laughs> they just stink. Smell like cheese. <laughs> Smell like a new. Ah, oh, damn. Okay, what about you? Indians, I'm sorry. I just can't date y'all because your food stinks. You guys might stink. I didn't know you were recording. And no, bitch, you stink. They're like curry. And that's why her pussy smell like curry. So, yeah. That was ridiculous. The amount of gasps I had. I actually, I can't believe it. And that's just like a short clip of these videos. I promise if you like watch any of these videos, like more, Indian is like, one of the most like common top, yeah. top, answers top answers that people give and this is always how they respond yeah yeah and there's like not even that if you just search up what race would you not date on youtube it's almost every single video is the top hit is indian yeah so it's not even like oh this trend is funny and quirky and other people have other answers no it's pretty much every single person in the videos say indian and what is this we smell gross and oh my what, gosh. what is all it's, of this it's it's so incredibly frustrating and dehumanizing to yeah. hear stuff like that. Like, like that is, like, the difference. <laughs> it's, like, no wonder South Asians are so insecure about their looks because we literally go online. We go on, yeah. on YouTube or TikTok or something like that, mm-hmm. and we see videos like this where people are genuinely not even, not even just saying, like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't no, date an like Indian person. Outwardly. They're going after us and totally, like, <laughs> they're like not, not only saying go. that they wouldn't date us, but going going into like, like they smell bad your they like food is, yeah their food's is, disgusting they all like, of this really stuff just like not stopping they're not like oh i just want to date indian no they're like straight out there bashing our culture yeah and it's like i'm so sorry that we eat foods with spice yeah that has like what? i don't know other flavors in it and it's just like it's so dehumanizing it's like really just not only messing with 
us as an individual, but our entire culture and our entire like upbringing, our food, our everything surrounded to being brown. So obviously, who wouldn't want to disassociate yeah. themselves? And at that it's point? so just traumatizing to oh, hear yeah. people talk about you in that kind of way. Oh, like yeah. I think that for Saloni and I were a little bit. It was just sad, but a little bit more desensitized to yeah. it because we have heard this so much. So much. But like but it genuinely growing up, I've had kids literally tell me like, ew, like your lunchbox smells like weird. Like what oh, is that yeah. curry? Why does it smell so weird? Yeah. Like, ew, that no, stinks. I even one of my one of my other South Asian friends, she actually told me about how she feels this like need to always smell amazing. Like always yeah. have some really nice perfume on, always just smell really, really good. Mm-hmm. And she said that the reason that she feels yeah. that way is because her whole life she's been told, oh, Indians are or smell bad South Asians smell bad and so she's felt the need like she actively I mean like I I also love perfume so I'm still gonna put it on all the time but but, the reason that she wants to always Mm -hmm. smell good is because she's always been told that Mm. South Asians smell bad and she's trying to like actively defy that stereotype yeah, yeah no well that's like so true because like I when I'm at home I would like make sure I would tell my mom to shut the kitchen door when she's doing like the tarka or like the oil and spices mm, yeah. like seasoning cooking cooking to shut the door so the smell doesn't come out into the living room onto my clothes especially if I'm stepping out to go out and now I'm just realizing is that everyone cooks in their house but we have to be extra careful of that scent not attaching to us because then that just further goes on to us being bullied literally yeah. it's bullying yeah <laughs> And also just like talking about the whole concept of the video, which we kind of like got into a bit before we started, but the whole concept of like not dating an entire race, that is just, I'm sorry, but that is just not a thing. Everybody, I've seen so many debates about this online, people saying Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's just a preference. I just like prefer this. But here's the thing. Every single race has their attractive and un or like right. Yeah, there, there's there a variety people, in yeah. every single race. Yeah. You know what I mean? So to completely disregard exactly. an entire race and act as though there's not a single person in that race that you could feel love and affection for and find attractive that stems from racism and there's nothing else that that stems no from. One can it's argue not otherwise. a personal preference. It's not that you no. just prefer like I don't know, blonde girls with blue right. eyes. It it 100% stems from racism and from internalizing right. all of these narratives that we have all unfortunately been forced to consume through TV shows and movies and media in general. So not only has the media convinced other people that we are ugly and we are not cool, etc., this has also spread to other South Asians. Yeah. So within the South Asian community, it's like they'd rather be caught dead than be dating or with another South Asian. Like yeah. I know so many girls were like, ew, I would never date a brown boy and vice versa. Vice versa. Boy, I know so many ew, brown boys. boys who would be like, ew, I would never date a brown girl. Like that's disgusting. Like exactly. I do not want that. And it's like, we're of the same frigging race. Yeah. But no, because of this negative representation, it's pushed it so deep that we ourselves believe that for ourselves. Yeah. And it's not even just 
these beliefs that like kind of we have that we are unattractive and all of this stuff that we've just talked about Mm -hmm. it's not something that just stems from those videos that we've seen online it's also from experiences that we have in our everyday lives as well like growing up being like bullied all the time for being South Asian yeah I can think of like just in general you know a lot of South Asians tradition like typically they they do have a good amount of hair and it's beneficial in a lot of ways but can be a nuisance in a lot of ways but we you know we do have beautiful hair on our heads Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) at the same time you know we get hair in other places as well and I remember being in elementary school and having this be something that I was bullied for all the time yeah and I remember um I did have a little bit of hair on my upper lip around that age mm-hmm. and there mm-hmm. was another boy in my grade who also had a little bit of hair on his upper lip and um the boys in my class would make fun of me for it and they'd be like wow you grow a better mustache oh than, than this boy in our class and just would constantly make jokes about the hair that was on my upper lip mm-hmm. and it created this like very deep rooted insecurity yeah. for me that continued on for so many years about like the hair that I had And just made me, it also just, like, made me feel so, like, unfeminine. And, like, when when people were comparing me to boys and saying that I was, like, more of a man than, than them. And this was stuff that I was hearing when I was, like... 10 years old and didn't even like know I I didn't even know that these kids were being racist to me when it was happening I thought they were just being Being mean mean. yeah and like looking back on it now I'm like oh wow this stems from like racist beliefs that we learn as children yeah and I feel like in relation to that you know like feeling unfeminine and not pretty I remember in high school and middle school everyone during school dances every single girl at some point got asked to a school dance and like Honestly, even admitting this is, like, very embarrassing. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Like, it's so embarrassing. But you know what? This is a platform where this is going to be shared. But it's, like, I've never once been asked to a school dance. Same here. And, you know, growing up, I was just like, oh, I guess it's because I'm ugly. Or, like, I'm just not worthy enough to be asked by some middle school boy to a freaking school dance. But, But these are because I'm sure, which, you know, we can't test right now, but... It could stem from their own, like, oh, I don't want to take a brown girl to yeah. a dance. And, like, us taking those beliefs to heart and be like, well, I'm ugly and I'm not worthy of being asked to dance. And then it starts leading to self-limiting beliefs and restrictive, self-sabotaging behaviors. Yeah, it's just because when you, when you are constantly seeing every single one of your friends, yeah. like, genuinely, though, that, that was the biggest genuinely. issue is that it wasn't just, like, I don't know, myself and, like, a few other friends no, hadn't no. been Every asked. single it was like person all of asked. my friends at some point. At some point, experience, exactly. Experienced mm-hmm. something like that to happen to them in middle school, high school, um, even, like, college, whatever it might be. They, you know, did have somebody pursue mm-hmm. them at some point mm-hmm. in time. And very and quickly, so, yeah. yeah. And so when you're just watching that all the time and you're always just watching it from the sidelines and nobody is ever expressing any interest in you, how can you not internalize that and believe that there must be something wrong with you and that there must be, that you must be the problem since nobody is ever approaching you? And then, you know, the times that we do get pursued and people do, like, especially I think college was like the turning point um, because there's probably a little bit more diversity. Yeah, definitely. But when we do get pursued or when a guy 
or girl whatever's trying to um express interest express interest yeah. we don't believe it oh we're yeah. like oh no like it can't be so it's probably just something platonic or even if it's like something is like oh they could not possibly want to be friends with me or like want to pursue me romantically because we've internalized those beliefs and ultimately it becomes self-sabotaging behaviors because yeah. then you are the one restricting, restricting yourself, yourself and yeah it just becomes an unfortunate oh i can cycle. think of so many times where that has like been yeah. the, the case in my life where i don't know people yeah. have let me know that <laughs> they were expressing interest and i'm like oh wait what, what? really i know but it's it's genuinely because we don't know what we've never really known what that kind of is like yeah. and so when it does happen it comes we, from a place of suspicion, confusion. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. It's like, even if we do know, we're like, wait, why are Is they? Is this a prank? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why are they yeah. pursuing us? Why do they actually find us attractive? I've been told my whole life that exactly. I'm unattractive because I'm South Asian. And now this person's, like, saying that I'm not. And Yeah, it's very it just, confusing. It becomes very really hard messy. to believe. Mm-hmm. So historically speaking, you know, people of color have not been complimented, have not been praised. So now when we do, we are very suspicious and confused. And there's this actually a really great article by Kunzman and Fitzpatrick in 2017 that talks about how stigmatized racism has made white people's kindness towards people of color very ambiguous. And we, as people of color, portray and interpret this ambiguity with suspicion so we see this as a threat to our identity when a white person compliments us it sends us into a spiral of confusion and suspicion and we don't understand why are they praising us and so this article reviews how people of color are predictive towards white people's positivity as something negative and so to the extent that people of color are suspicious of white people's motives, we have chronically been diag- or not diagnosing, but seeing mm-hmm. these praises to be threatening, which is actually incredibly psychologically taxing and yeah. really just takes a mental toll. Because anytime someone compliments you, you're like, "Wait, is that real? Yeah. Like, are you for real? Like, are you trying to? Are you? I don't know." Yeah, and it just makes so much sense, like why people of color would mistrust white people when just in in that historical context yeah. we have really just seen that unfortunately you know white people do bring harm to people of color and so when when we're kind of starting to see the opposite of that yeah. it, it it can become very hard to trust that their intentions are genuine and that they they truly mean what they're saying just because of all of the the yeah. trauma that we have kind of been left as a result or mm-hmm. like left with as a result of their actions. Yeah, and it's very much just the concept of smiling racism is that people have historically speaking put on a smile but they're incredibly racist. Yeah. So now when we have someone with a smile complimenting us we're like is that meant to be racist? Was that meant to be a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Are you are you joking or are you even worse? Are you fetishizing me? Exactly. Is it coming from like that mm-hmm. instead or is this like just genuine true interest? Yeah. It's it's kind of impossible to tell. So just with all of that, it's obvious why 
being a person of color, being South Asian is so cognitively taxing because all you get and receive are constant negative reinforcements. So it makes sense, like we said before, why so many South Asians want to actively disassociate with their South Asian identity and not engage with their cultural activities, their background, their roots. And I know even we ourselves have had phases. Oh yeah, definitely. Like just going a little bit more into like our personal growth with our Mm -hmm. South Asian identities. I do know for a fact, yeah, definitely. I tried to disassociate with a lot of aspects of being South Asian, kind of like, I don't know, probably around middle school or something like that. Um, Even just like, I remember I would usually like find Indian food, like, I don't know, whenever my parents would say that we were having Indian food for dinner, I'd always yeah. be, like, rolling my eyes, and I'm like, oh, Indian food again? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It was always something that I would yeah. complain about for some reason, and I would almost act as if I didn't like Indian food when that wasn't even the case. Right. I, I genuinely, right. like, it, for Indian food is such, like, a comforting, yeah. like, thing for me because I've, you know, grown no, up exactly. eating it, and I absolutely love Indian food, but for some reason, I went through this weird phase where I was like, ugh, mm-hmm. Indian food, I don't want to eat that again, like, yeah. why are we having that for dinner? Whereas, like, it's kind of hilarious, now it's a complete mm-hmm. 180, and whenever I go home to, like, visit yeah. my parents, um, and they, like, are like, what do you want as your first meal back? I'm always like, Indian food, that right. has to be, like, what we're right. eating very first meal right um but I totally yeah yeah, no I get that because for me like uh I'm a dancer and growing up I did a lot of different dance forms and my mom is actually a professional Bollywood dancer um and I grew up learning how to dance like Bollywood dancing Mm -hmm. and stuff and I love it I genuinely love Bollywood music and dancing it's always a party yeah but when someone asks me when I tell them, oh, I'm a dancer, they're like, oh, what styles do you do? I will so conveniently leave out Bollywood. Because I'm yeah. like, for whatever reason, growing up, that felt very embarrassing. Yeah. Because people have this misconception of Bollywood and Indian stuff in general that I was like, oh, that's so embarrassing. I'm just going to like act like I don't even do that thing. Oh, yeah. When I fully, fully love dancing Bollywood. You're so right. I even think about that myself too. I also, yeah, grew up dancing and I used to take different Indian dance classes Mm -hmm. as like a kid um and yeah would be enrolled in those but then there was kind of just a switch where I really just like stopped taking any of those types Mm -hmm. of classes and really started to just like pursue ballet and like those types Mm -hmm. of like dance styles and I'm kind of sad now that like I I stopped doing Mm -hmm. Indian dances when I was young because I, like now I'm like oh I wish I wish I had like stuck yeah. with that but but I didn't because I didn't want to be yeah. too Indian almost. No, yeah and like it's just sad right like overall it's us like pushing away the things we actually like yeah to p- please other to please people. other people and I it makes me sad too because I also feel like in some ways like I've I don't know, hurt my, like, family along the way. Yeah, like, I'm sure that I they know. aren't actively, like, like even, <laughs> super upset about this. But, I like, know, but it's sad. It is like, sad that, like, really sad. I, I used to complain about that kind of stuff. And, like, even with, like, um, like, because my, my family, I grew up with a very random <laughs> religious, like, background since yeah. I am halfway. I had this, like, whole Anglican side. But then mm-hmm. my mom is Hindu, so I also, like, grew up with Hinduism yeah. in my life and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and I was never particularly religious mm-hmm. in either way. But I always, like, loved going to temple. And mm-hmm. it was always so much fun for me. But then at the same time, yeah. I would always... And I'm so sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, but I would always make fun of my mom for like being interested in Hinduism and spirituality. Mm -hmm. And that was always something that like I tried really hard to like 
Yeah. Well, I still feel very insecure when someone asks me like, oh, like, are you religious or this and that? Like, it's just like very like hard to answer those questions because you're like, what must, what is the answer that I need to give to be liked by by the, the person that's asking by that asking and it's typically a white person and so it ends up like hurting people we love indirectly but i know for a fact that you know we were growing up and we yeah. had huge changes since but these are just aspects that were really sad that yeah that were really sad yeah. that we tried so hard to disassociate yeah. from So, you know, despite all of that in our past and the unfortunate realities we've experienced, there was this distinctive turning point, I think, for both Priya and myself, and that came from the pandemic, actually, which was really because we were completely isolated from everyone around us and we got to spend time with just just ourselves ourselves and the internet. And that's where it really got us to exploring our identity. And literally Priya and I sent each other a billion TikToks back and forth. So many videos over the pandemic. And it was all related to being South Asian and we found so many beautiful South Asian creators. Yeah, who Mm -hmm. really just like, highlighted a lot of the insecurities that we had always kind of felt and a lot of just the topics that we've we've talked about in this podcast Mm -hmm. kind of just validating our experiences and I feel like at least for me having that time because you know during the pandemic we were really we were locked inside we Mm -hmm. were especially towards the beginning we were just spending all of our time alone at home maybe with your family whoever it might be but um it gave me a ton of opportunity to do a lot of self-reflection and just reflection on Mm-hmm. Th- these these insecurities that have de- developed from the experiences that we've talked about and I feel like having that validation from these South Asian creators gave me the room to grow and like all those things that Sa- Saloni and I were talking about with like yeah. being convinced that we were unattracted being convinced yeah. of all those things I- I've completely done such a 180 oh on gosh, yeah. that and and definitely do not feel the same way no. I've grown so much in my confidence about like myself even the basics like what I learned in the pandemic was I wasn't surrounded by people who didn't look like me all the time so I literally just sat down by myself and figured out what makeup actually works on my features yeah what my hair actually works with what I look like and really playing with what works for me yeah and not just because it's a trend and what other people like and want to see of me, what actually works for me, and really played with that. And I think that really, really leveled up my confidence because now I know I dress the way I want what works for me. I do my makeup the way that it works for me, not just because everyone around me is doing that. Yeah. And I feel like that played a huge role into boosting my self-confidence. And that really, really did come from a lot of South Asian creators on TikTok that gave me the confidence that, like, I can be... Yeah. my individual self no you're so you're so right it was just it was so similar for me because I really think that I was able to finally um finally see see people in a positive light that could, yeah. still goes back to like the reason why we need more representation in tv shows and movies but like tiktok kind of served as a platform for me to see representation yeah. of myself and I really 
I, I'm so happy. Like, I know that, yeah. you know, the pandemic was a it very was, difficult right. time it was for a tragedy in everybody. Itself. And it was very hard, but it did give me the opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And I am just so much more of a confident person now. I'm so secure Same. in myself. And I also use that time to reconnect with a lot of those aspects of being South Asian that mm-hmm. I tried to disassociate from yeah. as a like 14 year old and I feel like since then like I this is something that Saloni and I have been talking about a lot and trying to re-explore ourselves Mm -hmm. but just getting back into our our spirituality getting back into Mm -hmm. um Hinduism and Saloni and I have kind of been like going on this journey together a little bit it's just been Um, so nice to be able to like find someone and like have that moment during the pandemic that really like pushed us to like find ourselves because ultimately it's like we cut ourselves, we're still going to bleed South Asian blood. So you yeah. might as well embrace it. You might as well love it yeah. and really love yourself in that process. And I think it really, really did genuinely help our confidence as both of us. Like I can remember how we were even just two years no, ago in college. No, I know because Saloni and I have known each other since yeah. like first Fresh, year. So yeah. we've kind of seen each other at like all of these different points yeah. of like – pre-pandemic when we were a lot more insecure about our being South Asian Mm -hmm. and post-pandemic like watching Sal from an outside perspective um I've totally seen how she has changed over Mm -hmm. the last like four years that I've known her yeah um same likewise yeah. yeah and so it just I think um I, but I think, you know, that's that's just our personal experience. Like, we were we were lucky enough to have the pandemic be a time where we yeah, were able to grow. Definitely. But that is just what how it ended up working out for the mm-hmm, two of us. But that mm-hmm. is not the case for every single South Asian. And I know for a fact that there are definitely still yeah. plenty of South Asians, plenty of, like, young middle yeah. schoolers yeah. that feel exactly how we used to feel mm-hmm. at that age. And it just makes me very sad because... Right you know, insecurity is one thing, but having that insecurity exist because of the racism that yeah. Something is you can't prevalent. Change. It just you yeah, can't because change of change your skin color control things that you don't have control, control over, over. It just exactly. is really sad. But that's why I think for us, like for example, TikTok was a huge platform of change for us. That having more people who look like us represented in more mainstream media, if that exists could make such a difference because we had to like go and find these creators almost on TikTok. But if those people of representation were already there in mainstream media as the main characters and shows and movies, just imagine the change that would happen in the younger generation. Oh, it would have made such a big difference. If it affected us so much positively, I'm so sure if we had them more prevalent, the changes would be dramatic. Oh, yeah. And all of these, like, negative psychological effects that you and I are currently putting all this effort into to unlearning and reworking, we wouldn't have to do that because we wouldn't have been, you know, so negatively impacted in the first place, which is why we really need to make an active change Mm -hmm. right now so that the kids that are growing up don't have to waste all this time unlearning this trauma that has come from these racist experiences. And so because we've, you know, really spent our our lives dealing with mm-hmm. these psychological effects and just trying to do what we can to unlearn them, it not only do we, as Saloni and I have talked about, mm-hmm. find it hard to believe when other people 
uh, are attracted to us, but we also find it hard to believe when people appreciate our culture. And that's why a lot of, not just South Asians, but a lot of minorities get really angry when mm-hmm. others appropriate aspects of our culture right. because we've spent our whole lives being bullied and mm-hmm. taught that being South Asian or being whatever minority we are is a bad thing. And so it becomes so frustrating to see people appropriating and making money off of aspects of our culture. And I think the biggest examples are celebrities in the music industry, in fashion, etc. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest examples I can think of, which when I was younger I thought was a bop, was Selena Gomez's Come and Get It, which is this like very Indian beaded song and she wears like a bindi and like oh yeah and her promotion of the song yeah and wears like Indian clothes and like after the music um video and the music was released she would wear a bindi around LA LA, just like randomly but we're gonna play a small part of the song just so you guys get a idea of what what it is (laughs) Yeah. yeah So, you know, obviously, as you can tell in that clip, that music definitely mm-hmm. has significant influences from South Asian music. Um, and Selena Gomez isn't the only artist that has no. done this. There's so many different um, artists who influence or have South Asian music influence in their own music um Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's just like when you are using that kind of stuff you really need to credit the groups in which you are taking that influence from rather than just putting it in your in your song and making it seem like it was some claiming it as your own claiming it as your own exactly and i think another big example that we actually just recently came across was this tiktok but we're just going to explain it um instead of making guys hear it but it's just this clip about kim kardashian and another one of her sisters and they're talking about indian food and they're asking like oh what are your thoughts on indian food and kim goes disgusting and this incredibly aggressive yeah and then her sister just just kind of is agreeing and like it's like oh yeah right and then on the flip side you see kim kardashian wearing a bindi, which is a traditional piece of like dot or jewelry worn by mainly Hindu women. Yeah. Um, usually in your um, middle of your two eyebrows, which symbolizes the third eye, the sixth chakra. Yeah. A lot of very traditional has a lot of, yeah, spiritual history behind mm-hmm. it. And she's wearing these like bindis and like Indian inspired clothes to like incredibly big ceremonies yeah big events Sunday yeah one of her one of Kanye's Sunday services Services. she wore Mm -hmm. um a very Indian influenced outfit but oh my god Indian food no yeah exactly so they bash our culture but then choose the parts of it that they like and also just when you Mm -hmm. have celebrities wearing um or yeah, taking appropriating aspects of your culture, right. they tell everybody else mm-hmm. that it is okay to do that as well. And so exactly. when people like Selena Gomez and mm-hmm. um, Kim Kardashian and stuff like that are wearing bindis and stuff like that, um, the people that are just watching them and are like, oh wow, what a cool outfit. Like, that's so cute. So cute. Yeah. Then they go and do that as well. And that's why you go to Coachella mm. and see all these girls in yeah. their um, outfits at Coachella <laughs> wearing bindis and things like that. When yeah. 
when they don't even know what it is and don't even know that it's called a bindi in the first place. And, like, it's quite disrespectful with the outfits they wear and then just sticking a bindi. Yeah, exactly. They're putting this entire spiritual, traditional, um, very sacred thing with, like, this rave outfit, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's like you're yeah. mixing two things that you have no idea the meaning behind yeah, it. Yeah, just because you think it's like cute, cute and pretty. And I think that just goes with the whole idea of how celebrities and a lot of people cherry pick our culture mm-hmm. of what they think is cool and we're going to utilize that. For example, even things like yoga. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of now, when you think of yoga, for example, like when you guys think of yoga right now, you probably think of LA fit girls with their green juice doing like Pilates and yoga when in actuality yoga literally originates from India and it's actually breathing techniques yeah um and it's not just like the green juice yoga mat aloe lululemon vibes and I've been to like a lot of different yoga classes in my life some of them which are really good and some of them less so but it's so frustrating when you are in a yoga class where they don't even once mention Mm -hmm. hinduism mention the roots of yoga anything like that and it's just like that i think that is the biggest difference because i think a lot of people don't understand the difference between appropriation and appreciation and there is a distinct difference between taking an aspect of a culture and promoting it and using it to to profit off of mm-hmm. but never once mentioning where it comes from never once crediting it anything like that yeah and you know doing it in the same sense but really like making an emphasis about like oh this this comes from hinduism mm-hmm. this comes from whatever whatever the roots are of that thing it's yeah. just it's very important that you credit yeah the groups it's, that you were taking exactly this from. and it's like it's literally like if you think about it as simply as plagiarizing a paper yeah like we have to cite a paper every time you write something right in school and college you cite it so just like that we need to be able to credit where these ideas and whatever beliefs come from originally um instead of claiming it as your own because now when you think of things like yoga you think of white girls in LA doing something which is not wrong but it's like you just need to credit where you've learned these ideas and these beliefs and these philosophies and Another example of perhaps like appreciation is like when we invite our friends to events like Diwali or a wedding, we're like inviting you to come learn about our culture. Because there's plenty of ways to appreciate. Exactly. And you can like come join us and learn with us in that and celebrate with us. But if you're just going to go and wear um, a sari or a lenga with the Because you think it's pretty. Because you think it's cute to like your own little event. And you're not even going to know what it's like called or anything like that. That is like the issue. And I think that that mm-hmm. that is what people need to like understand and yes as as Saloni mentioned there are mm-hmm. ways to appreciate like I I when I get married I know yeah. that I'm going to have oh. an Indian <laughs> wedding service yes and I obviously am going to want all my friends who are yeah. a wide variety of different races um to come to that wedding and I will happily want them to be wearing Indian yeah. clothes if that's something that Same. they are like interested in doing um but that is like a huge difference mm-hmm. because you are going to a celebration. You are appreciating their culture and you're understanding where it's coming from and what the history behind yeah. it is. And I think that that is that is so important when you are with any culture, not just with no. South, South Asians. But I think that that is the appropriate way Mm -hmm. to approach appreciating other cultures because I know for a lot of people it is coming from a good place you are you know 
taking these yeah. influences from different cultures because you you do think that it's a beautiful yeah. aspect of that culture, but you really just need to be careful mm-hmm. about how you go about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also very much just make sure your intention is clear. Yeah. And if you have a question, you can always ask yeah. a South Asian person. Asking you can do some research. Is always exactly. encouraged and we are, appreciated. We are more than happy to explain it rather than having to see something absurd and feeling offended. Like I'd rather mm-hmm. you ask me and then we can prevent that kind of misunderstanding and that way you learn and I get to share my culture instead of it turning into a mess which is appropriate and, you know, getting people's feelings hurt and offending things, etc. So it's hard for us not to feel angry about this whole idea about cultural appropriation because forget even other people trying to appreciate or appropriate the culture when we ourselves don't have the space to appreciate our Our own own culture. culture. Like, we are not even given the room to appreciate our own cultural clothing, etc. And how are we then meant to allow other people to do so? Until, like, we can do it ourselves. Because, like, if you just look at workplaces, I know this is, like, a a general experience for most um, people of color, most Mm -hmm. minority groups. But, um, you know, obviously this has, like, been a common conversation, um, like, kind of more recently, but a lot of black individuals Mm -hmm. in the workplace, traditionally or historically, their hair, for no apparent reason, has been considered unprofessional. And when they're just wearing their hair naturally as it is, that is considered not okay. And we've been growing a little bit more in that sense. But, you know, that is something that I know the black community has struggled with for a long time and it's the same for um so many other minority groups as well in in other ways yeah like even in the south asian community itself it's like we are told that okay suit and a tie blouse and a skirt is what's professional but even the most professional and elegant sari would be considered not professional when in india in so many offices and in so many professional settings women will wear saris but in the western world that's not considered professional because we have this eurocentric view of what is accepted yeah and what is not yeah exactly and i feel like i even think about um myself like growing up being in high school oh yeah um, not, yeah mm-hmm. not being able to like do things uh, that are important to my culture for example i i have my nose pierced mm-hmm. and a lot of south asian individuals do have their nose pierced yeah. um and there's a lot of like history behind it we have a lot of reasoning for why mm-hmm. we get our nose pierced um why it is on like i typically will get it pierced on the left side of our nose yeah um things like that there's a lot of history behind a lot of all of that a lot of traditions behind it exactly and getting my nose pierced was something that I had always talked about since I was like six years old I always said I was like when I'm 16 I'm gonna get my nose pierced when Mm -hmm. I'm 16 that is gonna happen yeah then I turned 16 and that was exactly what I went to do and I was so excited and so happy to finally have my nose pierced because it had been something I'd like wanted for so long all of my aunts and family Mm -hmm. members had their nose pierced and I was just super excited for it and then I went to school um, where I had a uniform at, at the school that I went to in yeah. high school and I would get uniform infractions for having my nose pierced when Ugh. all of the white kids in my grade were totally allowed to wear their little cross necklaces whenever they wanted with their uniform. That was not considered yeah. something that didn't, that wasn't a part of the uniform, but apparently my teeny tiny little diamond stud in my nose mm-hmm. was 
so distracting from our uniform and I would have teachers chase me down in the hallways and yell at me about having my nose pierced and it was so frustrating because I would literally get detention for having That's my nose ridiculous. pierced yeah. and having this like thing that I was so excited to get done because it was a part of my culture that yeah. I had like kind of been waiting to be able to do and um then yeah I was I, I was told that it wasn't it wasn't allowed and I know that a lot of people in professional settings feel that mm -hmm. they can't get their nose pierced because it's not considered yeah. professional as well. Yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous that there's this Eurocentric view that's the only view that's allowed in terms of professionalism, in terms of what's accepted, what's not. And I think it also comes from like just the failure of education about other cultures that they do not realize that these things are important to other cultures and are not unprofessional, yeah. not professional. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like the idea of professionalism, they they don't even notice that it is from such a Eurocentric view. Yeah. So they just really attack anything that isn't what they consider professional, mm. which is such a, a problematic issue to currently have. And so it's just very clear that the the things that we've been talking about through this series and last few episodes have incredibly deep psychological effects on South Asians mm -hmm. um, and on on minority groups in general. Yeah, and I think that that is why we really need to to change the way that we are approaching representation. And that's exactly why we need more representation with positive narratives of South Asian characters so that the younger audience can relate to them and have their self-esteem not be shattered and then on top of that to be able to have celebrities actually acknowledge the difference between appropriation and appreciation and yeah. know how to appreciate a culture and give credit yeah because at the end of the day mm -hmm. you know if if kim kardashian had worn that exact same outfit mm -hmm. but had made an effort to to give a platform to South Asians and to talk about like the actual roots yeah. of where her outfit and influences were coming from that would have done so much for the South Asian community in terms of validating our culture and validating yeah. the beauty behind our culture but unfortunately that was not the case it was just something that she thought was cute and wore and most people that weren't South Asian probably didn't even know that that had anything to do with South Asian cultures and I think that's why we really need to have these conversations so that yeah. everyone, but especially celebrities who have that platform mm -hmm. to make a difference, understand like, how they can approach, that. Exactly. Yeah, approach other cultures in a respectful and appreciative exactly. way. Exactly. She could have easily also collaborated with an Indian designer, yeah. perhaps, and made that in itself a whole thing. Yeah, but... rather than just wearing her skin set and, and, <laughs> and like, a putting a cute bindi on. Exactly. Wow, that was a very intense and deep episode, but I really hope that episode brought some kind of understanding, some self-reflection perhaps, because it certainly did for us even yeah. while just talking about it. But I hope you guys join us next week for a brand new episode. But for now, I'm Saloni Kanani. I'm Priya Dufton. And this is Brown Skin, White, White Lies. Lies.